Welcome to Integrative Conversations, hosted by the Academy of Integrative Mental Health. The Academy expands knowledge to professionals in the mental health community and beyond, using a conscious, experiential, and evidence-based format. Our mission is to deliver comprehensive health and wellness to all by empowering personal and professional growth and confidence. To learn more, visit us at www.academyimh.com. This podcast is intended to provide information as a resource and is not a substitute for mental health treatment, medical advice, or professional training, and the statements and views shared by the guest are their own. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Hi, this is Laurel Sims-Stewart, content developer with the Academy of Integrative Mental Health, here to introduce this conversation with our director, Juniper Owens, and her guest, Robin Monson-Dupuy. In this episode, you'll get to hear all kinds of wisdom from Robin about grief and trauma and understanding ourselves and others as a spirit. She shares her personal story that led to her writing her book, Spirit Son, and how this has shaped her own personal life and her work as a therapist. I really enjoyed getting to listen in on this conversation, and I know you will too. As mental health professionals, we know how personal this work can really be and how changes and shifts in our own lives can influence the ways we show up to the work. Robin shares so much wisdom Um, about this process and also some really beautiful strategies that I think can be helpful for anyone in clinical practice right now. But before we get going, I just want to give a few quick updates from the team here at the Academy. First of all, don't forget to check out our starter packs. Our most recent starter pack release is focused on body image, which I know is super important topic for so many of us and for our clients. And as a reminder, Our starter packs include blog posts, client worksheets, practice handouts that you can use in sessions and for yourself, and more. And if you sign up for our newsletter along with the starter pack, you can also get access to the curated playlist that goes along with the theme of the pack, which is an amazing extra resource that you can enjoy for yourself or you can share with your clients. Don't forget to check out the show notes for a link to sign up for our newsletter, and you can get access to all of our resources and starter packs through our website, www.academyimh.com. And of course, all of our podcast listeners can get 10% off any course or starter pack with the code CONVERSATIONS. Second, did you know that our signature certification course, 3 Core Integrative, is approved for professional CEUs in Kentucky, Georgia, Kansas, Ohio, Connecticut, and New Hampshire. 3CI is our training program to become a certified integrative mental health professional with the credentials of IMHP. Our model transcends the three most research-backed components of the integrative and holistic approach to mental health care, mindfulness, movement, and nutrition. You will not only learn research and theory, but practical tools and interventions you can utilize in your practice. And from now through October, podcast listeners can also get 10% off this course with the code 3CIConvos. 
We are really proud of this training and how much it truly offers, and we are continually adding more approved CEU states. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our website and reach out to us directly there. All right, it's conversation time. Let's join Juniper and Robin. Well, thank you, Juniper, for having me on this podcast. It's a privilege um, to have an opportunity to share a conversation with you. I'm excited to be here. I am, oh, I, I think I have many roles, but they're all nested in the fact that I'm a person who is on this planet to heal and teach, I think, are the archetypes, if you will, that I know are deeply embedded in me. I'm a psychotherapist, have been so um, over 30 years. Um, I have training in solution-focused therapy, trauma, uh, grief. I am a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist, um, as well as a substance abuse uh, counselor, too. So um, kind of my practice is wide and varied, but that's sort of the way I am as well. I'm one of these people that I'm a lifelong learner, and I just love to learn. So I've just picked up a lot of different um ways of, of uh, healing people. Um, I am a mom, a wife. I um, have two children. Um, what, my oldest is a daughter who is a, a psychotherapist as well. My husband's a retired police officer. And my second child is um, Ethan, and he's a spirit. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here and joining us today and sharing uh a little bit about you and your work in the world and your experience with uh, our listeners today. And you said it's a privilege and, and I agree. I feel honored and it's a gift to be able to, to share with you and harvest uh, and all the good stuff. So, And that's a great word, Juniper, harvest. Um, I think um, the, another word I often use is how we mine as a mine, you know, a miner, we mine the depths of people whose paths we cross because everybody has something to offer. And oftentimes what is most valuable is not so much always what's evident on the surface. So I love to get in or, you know, in deeper because that mining in, in people and in our interactions produces what, well, like you said, such great fruit harvest. <laughs> Yes, you said that eloquently, and that makes sense because you are also a writer, and you had mentioned your son, who's a spirit, and I'd like to really start our conversation today with the book that you wrote, I guess, a memoir? A memoir? It's a memoir, uh-huh, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, Spirit Son, which um, a mother's journey to reconnect with her son after his death from heroin overdose, and it is... It was an easy read for me. I couldn't stop, actually, when I started reading it. I was like, oh, my goodness. And it essentially highlights um, your journey with your son and his heroin addiction and after his death. And it was riveting, obviously, and like terrifyingly beautiful to me. And also uh, really gave me a sense of how you opened up, just got cracked open to so much more than you had uh, experienced before. And I, I think that's a great place to start with the who you are and the work that you do in the world. Mm-hmm. It's not really a question, but kind of a intro point. <laughs> well, so that phrase cracked open really caught my attention. And what immediately 
popped up for me in my mind was uh, I felt broken open, like just laid bare, broken. And everything that had been of meaning to me um, seemed to be something I questioned. And everything that had brought joy and um, happiness, contentment in my life seemed to no longer be possible. And yet I, I just, I, God just wired me to be a survivor. So I, I come across clients in my, in my private practice whose grief lays them low and they really struggle to pick up. Um, I thankfully to God, um, just kind of dove in, which is sort of my way. Something happens and I just want to understand it. So this horrible thing over the course of my son's addiction to opioids from when he was a senior in high school until he died when he was almost 26. Once his his uh, life ended um, in an accidental overdose, he had been um, actually clean for quite a while, lots of treatment, in and out of treatment, always trying again. He just had a had a, uh, a wonderful spirit in that way. By spirit, I mean this energy to keep trying. After that ended, it I, I, I was like, wait, what? It ended that way? How could that have happened? How could that have happened? I'm a therapist. I'm a substance abuse counselor. He was surrounded by so many people praying and loving him. Um, because I'm in the field, I was able to assist with him getting into the best treatments um, available here in the state of Wisconsin, where we live in, in the Milwaukee area. He went to college in the La Crosse area. There's wonderful healthcare systems across the state. And yet, it it ended with loss of his life. And so as I tried to make sense of how could uh, how could something like love and treatment and, and this outpouring of, of of support, how could that how could that not have prevented his death? And yet that's the case for thousands upon thousands of people who have lost a loved one to this what had been the opioid crisis and now is really uh, the addiction crisis in our country. And so I did. I also was cracked open in terms of what I looked to for healing. And I just looked right and left and up and down and in and out and everywhere well beyond the, the boundaries of what was my training as a um, psychotherapist. I, I looked everywhere and tried everything that I could possibly try to not only understand um, the meaning of his death, understand how this could have happened, but then as time went on, understand how it's possible to not, not be done with the relationship with my son simply because he was no longer on the planet standing in front of me, able to be hugged and touched by me. And that was the gift of all of my searching and healing was, oh, no, Robin, this doesn't need to end your relationship with your son. It's going to shift in a, in a way that you don't have any idea how to have a relationship with a spirit son, but indeed it's possible. Mm -hmm. I'd love to get more into that. And and to to add a little richness to the experience that you just described, because you you went into detail and vulnerable raw detail of just kind of the spiraling you know darkness and um, seeking to understand and the, just the journey through that years years into the journey, and I think of interest to our listeners the 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 healing part. I can't remember what you called that section. I think like I, you put yeah, something like healing. Oh, here it was. So in part three, 
in part three healing practices, I was really curious of all of the different um, kind of approaches up until that they all like came together. You had mentioned that at one point, one of your friends had been visited by Ethan, your son. And then that was years later when you kind of went into seeing a shaman and doing some of that work. So I'd love to just get into what that was like for you when you had a friend that said they were visited by your son. And you, it sounds like that wasn't something you were familiar with or that you had had a lot of experience with in the past. And then kind of fast forwarding to where you were getting all of these um, loving presences in your presence in your life with your Nana and, and that whole thing. So do you mind kind of sharing a little bit about that? I would love to, because I think that in our uh, Western American culture, this concept of spirits is not um, really very mainstream. I have been um, a, a woman, a person of faith ever since I was um, uh, raised. I raised in a Lutheran family. I went to a Lutheran college. I spent two years in Lutheran volunteer corps after college. I have been very involved in my Lutheran faith in uh, churches. Uh, we raised our kids in, in church, and my husband and I were married in the church. So my understanding of spirits was that, you know, they were the people up in heaven. And, um, I never really thought much about it because I never really had experienced a loss that didn't make sense. It makes sense when grandparents die, right? Because that's the end of their life. So that made sense to me. So I had no awareness of this concept of a spirit. And it just, it just kind of like slammed into me when my friend, uh, who's also a therapist. Uh, she's part of a women's group of four of us therapists that have been meeting for 14 years. And 48 hours after he he passed, he appeared at her the foot of her bed. She'd never met him. And it, when she shared this with me, it just, it, I, I couldn't take it in. It's like my brain just couldn't like take in this, this concept of what do you mean he appeared to you? And I literally asked her, to, to tell me the story, I, I, I asked her three times, she acquiesced, and then I asked her, could you write it down? And then I went home and I told my husband, I said, you're not going to believe this, but Ethan appeared to um, Rade, and and he said, what? And he he wanted to hear the words from her mouth, and so he called her. And so this kind of like our brain couldn't take this in, our, our brains, and I think that's true in our culture. Um, uh, in contrast to uh, more Eastern cultures, what exactly is a spirit? And do spirits spend some time here uh, with us? And can we spend time interacting with them? I had to understand that. When she shared that with me, that he appeared to her, my first reaction, I'm a little bit ashamed to say, is I was mad. I'm like, wait, what? You appeared, Ethan, to somebody who you never met? And here I'm your mom, just like needing a, 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 a little bit of your presence. It was, um, it took a long time until my grief lifted enough that I could feel him. And when I had seen a medium, again, an, a, a, another person, a, a person who has a role that I'd never even considered. And in fact, as a psychotherapist, my first impression was, well, you know, they, that might be a bit of a quack kind of a thing, right? And I just had to let go of all of my assumptions, all of my preconceived notions of, of, of 
what this means to have my son appear to somebody as a spirit. And so I had seen a medium some months after he died. And uh, one of the things that she said he told her was that I was too shrouded with grief and he had been and continued to try to connect with me, but couldn't get through. And when he, when she used that word, so mediums are simply a conduit um, from the spirit to uh, the person who's looking to connect with them. They mediums uh, are very, very careful to simply be that, that connector. They don't add impressions of their own. They don't add their own views or opinions. And they try to be a very precise and, and true to what the spirit is trying to communicate. And when she said, uh, Ethan is saying you're too shrouded, at that moment, I knew exactly it was it had to be Ethan because he used that word shrouded often. He would talk about um, being shrouded by depression. Um, and that's a, not a common word for a young man of 18, 19, 20 to use. And, and when she said that, I, I instantly was aware, yes, I have been shrouded and I have, I am. And I, he couldn't get through. Can you share just a little what you feel comfortable sharing about when you have, when you did some of that work? And I don't know, maybe it was a combination of all of the work that you did or just, it, it, I'm not sure, maybe you can share, but when you were able to uh, make contact, so so they say, or have that sense of awareness and feeling connection mm-hmm. with his spirit. So when... I learned from my friend that he appeared to her. What then started was um, a journey of, I was, of course, desperate as any mom would be to to have that connection with him uh, myself. And somebody had mentioned, I don't even know who it was, that there was this thing called a medium and this person who could connect you with your loved one. And so I saw um, uh, several mediums um, several different times over the course of that next year. Um, both in person, Zoom, and then a phone call uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles away and learned that spirits have their their pure energy, their pure, pure energy, and their energy knows no bounds. And I truly, truly believed that I was connecting with him. And it was it was very healing. My grandmother came through as well and shared how um, much she loved me and uh, was concerned for me. My body was really struggling to just cope with the grief and I had no appetite, struggled with sleep, and I was became very despondent, as many people do. And so I um, wanted to connect with, with my son without a medium. I wanted to have a relationship as we do with people we love when we're both alive, right? In our physical bodies, a relationship. So a relationship means there's a give and a take, there's a connection. It's not just a one-way thing. And so I had to then learn because I couldn't just keep seeing a medium every single day. (laughs) Um, How could I communicate with him? And so what then embarked was what I thought at first was going to be a journey of learning how to 
how to connect with the spirit. But what I learned is that in order to do that, I had to become more spiritual myself. I had to become aware of the fact that I wasn't just my roles. Like I said, in the beginning of our conversation, I'm a mom, I'm a therapist, I'm a yoga teacher, you know, I'm at this and I'm at that. And uh, no, what actually is most important about me is, and what is most important about all of us is we are a soul, a spirit that is our inner inner, inner personhood, if you will, that has, it's eternal. And we're just in this container of physical body for a brief period of time. And so as an athlete, I've been a runner all my life. I've been very focused on this container, my body, right? Athletes tend to be, you know, we all are in this culture, very focused on our appearance and how we look and how do we take care of ourselves and how do we clothe this body? And, and I be, be, tried to open that up and let that go and, and, start to learn what it meant to be a spirit. And um, if I were to, was to heal my broken spirit, my broken heart, who could help me with that? And then I learned about something called a shaman healer, who is a spiritual healer. And since I'm all about like going to see, uh, um, I mean, I believe in therapy. I've seen therapists myself. And if you have uh, um, brokenness in your psychological, emotional self, you see a therapist, you see a dentist if you have problems with your teeth. And if your spirit's broken, you can seek out a spiritual counselor, certainly of your faith, but you can also see somebody who is um, trained in that uh, and called a shaman. I'd never had any clue about that. So I sought that out as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And God, you, what you said about that, because spirit is pure being, and you even mentioned in the book, pure love, just pure, mm-hmm. unconditional, the, the type of love that we can, you know, only kind of maybe get glimpses of, because it's so much mm-hmm. that, that you found that the more that you tap into that, you are tapping into that well of being, pure being that your son and, and every spirit is encompassing. And so that I found that to be really eye-opening because in grief and I'm on professional training, you know, those things aren't talked about. It's typically, like you said, kind of heal and do these techniques and go to these groups, which are all amazing. And we're going to talk a little bit later about some of the grief groups that you do, but, but yeah, but that like that offering or invitation to be spiritual, not learn about it, not, but be and I, and I found that to be really uh, powerful in, in the book. And as you're talking now, because um, I recall, I wrote down some of the, or uh, I remember that some of the uh, practices that you engaged in, and it, some of them I'd never heard of, like the emotion code, never heard of that. Um, but also brain spotting, you talked about radical acceptance and chakra work and working with the shaman and of course the mediums. And and I'm I'm curious of all of those experiences that you had, would you say that which one maybe most influenced your work uh, with people today and also your continual practice, spiritual practices? It's a big question. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I'm going to actually answer the second part first. And then if I get off track, you know, rein me in. Um, But I would say that first of all, my exploration into myself as a spirit was something I never never thought I would have engaged in. I thought that I uh, was aware of spirituality. I'm a Christian. I'm a Lutheran. I go to church. I pray. I thought, okay, that's, you know, I'm, I'm spiritual. And I, I realized that those are actions as opposed to my like really like 
from the inside out understanding really the reality of of being a spirit and uh, our soul which is has nothing to do with what we do how we look it is our our soul connecting with other souls and I spent a lot of time as I took a, a long leave from my my uh, work, which at that time I was uh, director of outpatient behavioral health for a large healthcare organization here in Wisconsin. It was a big job. I, I took a leave and I spent a lot of time in just stillness, sitting, which had not been how I lived my life. I was always going, going, going. I sat and I I just allowed there to be this utter silence that I could just start to turn inward. And as I turned inward, I I realized that a a task that I did need to engage in was my own relationship with myself, my spirit. And that was I had to forgive myself. Um, I think many of us live our lives under a a cloud of of self-criticism and judgment and blame of ourselves that we would never really shower upon another person, but we do it and we learned and we actually become accustomed to it. I had to forgive myself for not saving my son. And then I had to understand that that never was my job anyway. And that was a long process. Um, I had to, I had to really not just say it, but I had to believe it from the very depths of my being. And then as I, I did that, that work, I began to begin to knit myself back together. And so what happens when you do that inner work is it, it you does it doesn't stay inside. It, it, it starts to emanate from you towards others. I, I became a more forgiving person towards others in my life. And I, I imagine that this is part of what maybe happens when we leave our physical body is that we go back to a place where there isn't anything that we criticize ourselves for or have to forgive ourselves for. Ethan is in a place of pure love and light. He no longer carries the shame and the judgment about addiction in the way that people who are in their physical bodies now on this planet struggling with addiction carry shame and and judgment and self-blame and they are ostracized and stigmatized and he's free from all that. And I had to learn how to be free from that um, in order to have a spiritual connection with him and spiritual connection with other people who are alive and in my life. And so it, it that's a hard thing to do. And it it uh, I turn to reading. It's something that I have always done all my life when I, as a little girl, when I needed comfort or distraction or just pure entertainment or learn, I, I would read under the covers until all hours of the night. I am surrounded by books. And so uh, I turned to books after after Ethan died and read everything I could get my hands on. Um, regarding spirits and the afterlife and what actually goes on there and how can we how could I bring some of that knowledge into my life now I didn't want to wait till I was passed on in order to be more spiritual so I I turned to everything I could find to 
to learn and turned to a shaman. And I understood in, in greater depth uh, the chakra system, which our, our energy centers along our, our spine from the root of our spine to the crown of our head. You can't see them or touch them, but they are very real. And how we use our energy ground us, it also can lift us up. And if we become very mindful of the fact that we are not just physical bodies, but we are also spiritual bodies. And so we're up into the upper chakras of our of our third eye, the seat of our inner wisdom and intuition. How can we listen to our deep self, our spirit? And then the crown chakra, how can we then be connected to all the spirits around us, both in their physical bodies and spirits who are here and we can't see them or touch them, but they're here. And so I finally then, I think really then at that point, integrated deep, deep inside this, my yogic knowledge of being a yoga teacher. And I started to just really integrate it. And having done all of that personal work, I'm so grateful that I was able to kind of let go of some of the professionalism that I had um, probably very much um, uh, covered myself with, which is, you know, we all do that. And I was able to sort of let that go. And I became, I think, much more vulnerable and um, real and open with clients, it, partly because I kind of put it all out there in the book. I, I shared many details about um, how my life, like my brother said, yeah, your life kind of fell apart, Robin, after Ethan died and then you put it back together. So I became more vulnerable and more real. And what what I the feedback I get from people is that they have searched for somebody who would understand what it's like to be so brokenhearted. And there's something about meeting with somebody who's experienced that that can be healing. I, I'm never going to go back to being covered up by a persona again. It's so freeing to just be open. It, it's sometimes hard to live life that way, but it is it's the way i'm I'm going to live the rest of my life, however long I have left in this body. Mm. Thank you so much <laughs> again. yeah, i I really appreciate a few things that you mentioned and and how this has changed your professional work because as mental health professionals, I mean, what's interesting about our job is that it's it requires continual self-work, personal reflection, personal work because, who we are is part of the work, you know, essentially. And I think that it takes time in our careers, if you shall say, or our, our time doing this craft or, um, is, is to really understand just how much we are in the session. And it could be in the form of our shadow. It can be in the form of what they call counter-transference and transfer, you know, all of that stuff. Um, so I'm really appreciate you sharing that. And, and someone else that I, um, have interviewed on this podcast and also I've learned a lot from is who practices as a death doula um, said, and this has changed me ever since she talked about, it, but basically death is really a preparation or teaches you how to live. Experiencing death is actually like opened you up to really experiencing life. And I think you kind of had mentioned that when you talked about how you can now you, know, you have a greater relationship and love with people here you know, spirits that are in earthly bodies. And I found that really profound. And so in your work with people that are in their earthly bodies, it sounds like it's, it, it's transformed you and the way that you do the work. What would you say is the most powerful modality or approach that you use now that maybe you didn't before this experience? 
Well, um, I would say that probably the single most effective strategy or skill that I have learned since Ethan's death is the brain spotting. A great deal of my practice now is working with first responders, police officers, firefighters, people who have suffered enormous grief, loss, and brain spotting is something that I experienced uh, during the year I saw a therapist who specialized in trauma, and he was a certified brain spotter, and I had never heard of it. I never heard of it, and it was so helpful to me to heal all of the built-up trauma that my family, my daughter, and uh, my husband and I had suffered in trying to walk with Ethan during this journey. He not only struggled with addiction, um, and it was due to being prescribed pain meds for sports injuries and pain meds after he had his wisdom teeth out, and and like you know, a story like so many others, it led to then heroin and other um, much stronger opioids. He had suffered mental health issues to anxiety and depression. He had um, attempted suicide three times. He'd been hospitalized. Very, very scary situations. We had to find him, you know, near the river and find him in the woods. And it was, there was just so much trauma, but yet you could like stop the movie and say, you know, I need to take a break. I need to really like heal from this trauma before this journey continues. It just went boom for eight years. There had been so much trauma prior to even his death that I, I was really unaware of. And my therapist was the one who said, you know, we need to kind of even backtrack and begin to heal that stored up trauma. And trauma doesn't reside in our prefrontal cortex, you know, the the place of the brain right behind the forehead where we think and we think logically and rationally. And um, no, our trauma is deep, deep in the midbrain. And so brain spotting is a way that we help the brain to focus and its own energy, the brain heals itself. The energy from our prefrontal cortex, where we like to be, our thinking rationally and logically, and goes deep into the brain. And with focused attention and mindful processing, the brain can then go back into those 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 embodied feelings of of pain and suffering and trauma, feeling the trauma in the body and healing it. Now, it doesn't mean you forget it. It doesn't mean it's not still painful. But what happens is that trauma then has has less of a grip on compromising your ability to continue to move forward in your life and have the opportunity for for joy again and, and some contentment and peace. I mean, my life is forever changed by this loss, but it doesn't mean that my life has to stop. And that was such a gift. The brain spotting was, I I probably did brain spotting with him maybe 20 different times on some of the most traumatic memories to, to allow my brain to reprocess that in a way that I could find a way to, then the memory is still within me, but it's not going to grind me to a halt and keep me broken. Mm -hmm. And big fan of brain spotting myself. I haven't been trained in it, but we have several therapists trained in brain spotting at my practice and I've been able to experience it. And it just feels much gentler than EMDR. And something else I really, I I like not to knock any of the practices, just for me, it felt more gentle. And it also, um, it it didn't require me telling verbally my story, which is very difficult or like what's going on because a lot of my experience is is pre-verbal or non-verbal. And so to say it takes me out of the experience. And I love brain spotting because my brain spotting therapist is like, you don't have to say a word. 
just go with it. And like the point, and I'm like, Oh my, it just, it, it, it allowed me to be able to be more in my body and less concerned with like how to explain it. So um, yeah. What's been your experience uh, as a brain spotting practitioner now that you've also experienced it yourself? So one of the things you said that's so important about that is it, it, for brain spotting to work, you do not need to retell the story, which in itself can be re-traumatizing. And because I am, uh, I see so many police officers, uh, I, I really have such a heart for law enforcement and the trauma that they they see and experience that are in every day. My husband uh, was a police officer for 30 years, retired now. The last thing police officers want to do is do a lot of talking, right, about all of that. And so um, what they do need to do is something that's hard for them and hard for a lot of us is to get into our bodies. And so brain spotting is a really good fit for me because as a yoga teacher and a yoga practitioner, it, it that's allows the body to express its pain rather than our pain only being expressed, you know, through our talking and then all of our efforts to cover up our pain, whether we distract ourselves with, you know, substances or behaviors or, you know, social media and sitting with it and, and feeling into the body, the body then connects with the, with the mind, the mind with the body. And then that healing takes place in that connection. You can't just heal trauma from just staying up in your head. You've got to, to have the courage with, with the, in, in the presence of a, of a therapist who is holding space in an unconditional, attentive, attuned, caring way and allowing yourself to go, go there. And you don't have to do it with talking. It is, it is a, um, a an amazingly effective healing uh, modality. And I'm so grateful that I, um, uh, learned um, and got became certified. And I find it very, very effective. And I see also a lot of clients who have suffered enormous losses of um, a loved one to addiction, and it's very healing for them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, that's something that I think we will be seeing more of when, as more people are being trained and the word gets out. And also I noticed, and as we're kind of moving toward the end of our conversation, I'd love to talk a little bit more about a few other wellness services that you provide. And also if you provide any of these services via virtually, so maybe out of the state of Wisconsin, I know as therapy, we can only practice in states that we're licensed with, but some of this other work is very freeing where we can kind of explore other where we can extend and um, increase access to those services. But one of them that's very intriguing to me is the chakra work that you do. And I've read one book, I think it's called like something about Western mind. I'm going to have to remember that and, and insert it here. Eastern body, Western mind by yeah. Judith and Odea. Thank you. Yes. I read that book several years ago and it was like, just kind of blew my mind open because that wasn't actually something I had a ton of experience with. So yeah, do you mind sharing a little bit about that work and what that looks like and anything else around? So, um, yes, I, I do chakra balancing work at, at, at a separate service from psychotherapy in which I have them do a self-assessment on their uh, perceptions of themselves or experiences of themselves in each of the um, chakras and starting from the root chakra, going up to the belly chakra and the solar plexus and then the heart and then the throat and then the third eye between the eyebrows and then the crown. And then 
we we look to see if any one of those energy the word chakra actually in Sanskrit means a whirling wheel. And so this sense of this energy is 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 moving within us and it it all of those energies combined together comprise what we typically think of ourselves as is you know our energy or who we are but we can separate those out and find out where we might be deficient in one place of our energy body we have a physical body we have an emotional body but we also have a kind of spiritual body but we have this energetic body energy that you you know you can't see it you can't touch it but you can feel it and then people can find out through this self-assessment, um, and I, I, we score it, and I, um, I work with them to determine what chakras might be excessive. Do they have too much? The Manipura chakra is the, our solar plexus, the seat of our personal willpower and determination, our self-efficacy and our belief and our ability to set a goal and achieve it. Some people are a little bit maybe bulldozing others in their lives. Um, women oftentimes have t- too little of that of that energy and need to be more strong in believing in themselves. So sometimes energy can be deficient. Sometimes the, a chakra energy can be excessive. And when our energies are in balance, that's when we are energetically healthy. And when we're energetically healthy, um, we're more healthy in our bodies. We're more emotionally balanced, more able to emotionally regulate ourselves. And we also then can be more mindful of ourselves as a spirit because, of course, the, the, the top um, chakra is the crown chakra. And it is our awareness of ourself as being a, a soul. So the symbol of the crown chakra is a thousand petaled lotus blossom, which represents infinity. And we are infinite. And if we can tap into that, we have now just gained the ability to have a relationship with ourselves and others on another plane that we typically spend no time in. So the chakra balancing service I offer is something that many people are curious about. They don't know much about, but they end up um, finding it to be quite helpful. Absolutely. And and like you said, you're looking at all of these, those centers that you had described that really correspond, often correspond to what we hear about so much in sessions, right? Like each, the safety that, that, is it the sacral chakra, the very, um, the root chakra? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that, like that safety and that trust and that like attachment, that's like core, you know, and then kind of working. I don't know if it works this way, but I kind of noticed this in, in my work is that I start, that's like the core to start with. And then you can, you know, moving up into some of those other, maybe even it kind of almost mirrors a little bit Maslow's hierarchy to me, at least, because if you don't have that safety and that trust and that security, that groundedness, you know, you might, that's other work might be difficult to get done without that trust and that safety. So yeah, I think that it makes a lot of sense in the work that we do actually. And especially if you were a practitioner and it resonates with the practice that you do. You know, I noticed that like, for me, I read the book, but I don't really do that practice. So I didn't feel like I could personally, you know, guide somebody else. Um, but it definitely made sense, especially in a psychotherapeutic context. So I'm curious, like, I think that would be, I've always wanted to refer people to do that work with someone that does have that mental health background as a, as an adjunct to therapy. So, yeah, I'm curious, like, if you don't mind sharing what, what are your offerings or if somebody listening is feeling like, yeah, I really want to try that out. Would that be something you would do? Or do you also have other people that you recommend? 
Um, I absolutely can do those kinds of services uh, virtually. So brain spotting can be done virtually. You do not need to actually be in the room with that person. I can do brain spotting um, via Zoom. I, I have, I've experienced it myself, you know, just as psychotherapy, given um, the pandemic has now become standard uh, to do virtually. Brain spotting can be done that way. I can do chakra balancing uh, virtually. I can guide somebody through breath, a, a breath practice uh, to help them regulate themselves, emotionally regulate and calm themselves. Um, I can walk them through guided meditation, which is very helpful for people to cope with the, the guilt and the shame that they experience when a loved one dies of addiction or even suicide. So I use meditation practices. I, I offer personal growth workshops. Just this past weekend, I just did one on uh, happiness and how to grow that in our lives. And so all of this can be done virtually. You're right. Licensure does, doesn't allow to do uh, that kind of work uh, across state lines. But um, I think that that actually is going to change too, as time moves forward. We just aren't, we can't have those kinds of artificial boundaries and, and not provide services to people in far-flung areas where they might not have access to a, a live psychotherapist. So agreed on that. And, and also like, as far as resources that you list a lot of great resources in your book. Um, I was really curious because you had mentioned books that you were reading and I was like, oh, I've never heard of that one. You know, I, I'm pretty sure all of us mental health professionals are like really big reading nerds and like everyone I know has like at least five books bookmarked for their next journey. So yeah, you, you shared a lot of resources with that and, um, in your workshops of those virtual. I have offered them virtually. Uh, yes, because of uh, COVID, I um, try to also offer them live uh, in the summer outside in my private backyard. It's a you know to be outside and learn is a, a lovely gift. Um, so um, I've done them both ways. I, I have a website where people can contact me about when my next offerings are, and sometimes that's a little uncertain given COVID. So um, I I always update that periodically. They just need to reach out to me, and there's a contact form that they can do that on my on my website. Lifelong learning is such a, uh, I think it's a value of mine. And I really like to encourage that in people. They don't have to see a therapist um, and engage in psychotherapy to heal themselves. Their, um, healing happens in all kinds of venues, learning with others and just the gift of being in each other's presence as we all come together and try to heal and learn, taking a yoga class, um, reading, um, Books are just a wonderful way of of walking somebody else's journey with them as they have um, set that into print. And you can learn so much from another person's journey, right? To walk mm-hmm. a bit in their walk a bit in their shoes, which is why I uh, wrote the book. I I never wanted to write my story. It was very painful, frankly, to write. Um, but I I really was struck very clearly one morning. I wrote I wrote this down in the book that I woke up and I was kind of like told you must write this down. And six hours later, my morning coffee still sitting on the coffee table. I had an outline and I'm, I kind of like went, Whoa, what, what just happened here in my life? And so, you know, our human brains are wired for learning from stories back from the ages when we sat around the campfire at the end of the day and and told stories, we still learn from from reading and, and hearing and um, uh, learning about other people's journey through storytelling. And I think that's such a powerful way to heal is um, storytelling and being open about mm-hmm. our stories. 
Oh, yes. Yes. And you're speaking my love language and our love language at the Academy about learning and, and expanding and, um, into modalities or, um, practitioners that are outside of traditional mental health, because as you mentioned, there's so many paths and, you know, a lot of people resonate on different paths. And so it is up to us. I believe it's the ethical thing to do to be able to refer and share and provide resources of like, Hey, you know, it sounds like you could really benefit from working with a shaman or working with a yoga practitioner in the chakra system. So I really appreciate that because that's kind of, that's our collaboration is the key in integrative mental health in our minds, because we can't do it all but we can try, (laughs) which we all do. But what I love it too, about this thing that you talked about with the stories and like how to learn is especially as mental health professionals, if you haven't experienced the loss of a child or a loved one in that way, reading your story can give that a sense that you're, you really are walking along with you in that journey. And I think that as practitioners, if we're working with someone that's experiencing grief and we haven't quite, we haven't had that we can still work with them and understand and be with them. But having had read your story, I feel better equipped, if anything, just to refer out possibly. Um, but so that was a, it's quite a gift, not just to, for everyone, but also for mental health professionals. So I'd recommend reading if you've had the experience or even, especially if you have it. And um, that's just my personal thoughts around that. Um, but yeah, so like, I'm curious uh, if before we move to our ending um, guided practice or shared practice to embody what we've talked about today, just is anything else um, on your in your heart or just really dying to be spoken out into the world right now as we've talked? Well, it, so those key key words at the end of your sentence in the world right now, what would I share? And I, I guess you know I think that we all in some ways feel the heavy grief that our whole world is suffering from with the the loss and the pain and the suffering uh, due to this pandemic. Here in America, we have an unprecedented crisis that has been going on even pre-pandemic, which is the addiction crisis that has um, caused so much loss of, of life in a way that is still very stigmatized. So there's many people grieving. And I think the heaviness of that is something that is not just an individual experience, it's a collective experience. One of the things that is really important to be aware of is um, there is a concept that when one person dies, there is, it's called Dunbar's number, about 150 people in in concentric uh, circles around that person that feel the ripple effect of that loss. And so when you think about the amount of people who have passed on and all of their friends and family and colleagues and loved ones and neighbors and community members. Grief is a collective human experience right now that our country and our world is experiencing now more than ever. We need a a wide variety of healing modalities because not everybody heals the same way. It's, It's some things. Yes, it's a human connection that there's just some things that will be of of similarities in um, all grief experiences, but then every grief is different. Every person is different. So the more that we can all learn as healers how to help others heal, that's a gift that we give to our human family because we are all together. What we do for one, we do for all. Beautifully said. And I appreciate the invitation to to expand. And um, in that would you like to share the practice that you um, 
feel that could be healing and holing for us right now? Absolutely. So one of my favorite uh, meditations that I use in working with people is uh, it's, it's, ancient thousands of years called the loving kindness meditation so um, if i can walk us through that now i would feel that to be a, a great privilege so wherever you are those of you who are listening whenever that might be take a moment now to uh, put your feet on the floor um, feel your seat grounded in the chair you're sitting on and then lengthen the spine and feel the crown of the head lifting towards sky. And allow the shoulders to drop down along the spine towards earth. Bring the backs of the hands to the tops of the thighs, palms open. The open palms symbolizes you are both taking in this loving kindness meditation and you are also giving it out. So we start this with ourself, and then we'll move to concentric circles of the people around us nested in our lives. And so I will say the statement out loud and then repeat it silently to yourself in your mind. And so we begin. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be safe. May I be peaceful. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be safe. And may I be peaceful. And let's expand that now. Be very aware of your open palms. Maybe lift your palms just a little bit off your thighs and let them hover. Feel the energy of giving and receiving in the palms. May my friends and family be happy. May my friends and family be healthy. May my friends and family be safe. May my friends and family be peaceful. And let's expand this again. Maybe lift the palms just a little more. May my neighbors and community be healthy. May my neighbors and community be happy. May my neighbors and community be safe. May my neighbors and community be peaceful. Now imagine a person in those circles of who you know and interact with it, you find to be difficult. Someone who you have a fractured or broken relationship with. Picture that person in your mind's eye, feeling the energy in your palms of giving and receiving. May that difficult person in my life be happy. May that difficult person in my life be healthy. May that difficult person in my life be safe. May that difficult person in my life be peaceful. And now picture in your mind's eye a person who has harmed you, 
going beyond just a difficult or broken relationship, but this person has harmed you, has hurt you, perhaps very deeply, been cruel, unkind, mean, or thoughtless. A person you might view even as an enemy. Lift the palms a little bit more. Feel that energy of giving and receiving. May my enemy be healthy. May my enemy be happy. May my enemy be safe. May my enemy be peaceful. And then slowly curl the fingers into the palms lightly. And then open the hands and now rest the palms on top of your thighs. Feeling the energy of that giving and receiving now. Moving down into the bones of the thighs. Traveling down towards the feet on the earth. And then on a deep inhale, draw that energy up from the bottoms of the feet to the leg bones, thigh bones, hips. Inhaling again, moving through belly, through heart, through the throat, between the eyes, and floating on the top of your head. And that, my dears, is the loving-kindness meditation. Oh, wow. Thank you so, so much for, for sharing that and yourself. That was a really beautiful uh, way to practice loving-kindness. I'd never practiced it with a somatic movement and breathing like that before. It was really powerful, especially the clasping and bringing it back in. Um, that that always kind of bring, coming from within and then bringing it back out, that dance is so beautiful. And I feel like that you've done that, you've kind of modeled and mirrored and that so beautifully today in our conversation of sharing and, and receiving and then just right back again. Thank you well, so thank much. You. Thank you, Juniper. And um, it was a privilege to just share what I could today. Um, we never know how our paths cross uh, people who we never see or meet. And uh, sharing words like this across a virtual platform reaches so many people. So thank you for doing this. Absolutely. It is my honor. And kind of like what you said, just kind of like uh, uh, a calling that I can't avoid in a, in a way. And and one of my gifts is connecting people. I like, like to consider myself a matchmaker, if you will, like, and not just in, in, in like romantic relationships, people crack up, but I just love connecting people. I'm like, Oh, you would really get along with this person from a larger level. So I feel like this podcast is a great way to do that is connecting professionals and, you know, people that are curious and interested in, um, receiving guidance, support, their, their therapy from these professionals. So it's just so fun. I love it. <laughs> thank well, you thank so, you. so much. I'm going to list everything that you talked about in the show notes and um, provide uh, more information for our listeners should they wish to pursue. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Don't forget to check out the show notes for all of the resources we mentioned in the episode, as well as additional resources from Robin, including where you can purchase her book, Spirit Sun, and learn more about her work. 
And remember, we always want to hear from you too. Is there a topic you are interested in and want to learn more about or a guest you think would be just absolutely perfect for a conversation? How can we support you as a professional in your own learning and growing journey? We want to know. Reach out to us at www.academyimh.com. Until then, take good care of yourself and we'll talk again soon.